What is up? What is good? How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? Super 6 wildcard weekend is in the books, and the only thing I learned is that apparently Brian Westbrook dropped four balls in the playoff game. What the fuck is that, Brian? How did that happen? No clue. I'm not even sure that happened. I went back to look at the tape. It happened so long ago that they don't even have the damn videotape anymore. So it's been completely erased out of my mind. In my mind, it never happened. I don't know about it. I remember one pass, one crosser across the middle that may have uh, touched my fingertips and I dropped it. Other than that, there's no way I dropped four passes. Just, just not happening. I'm just bringing it up because, you know, all the games are going on and then Chris Godwin drops three passes or whatever and they're like or four passes this hasn't happened since brian westbrook and it's like <laughs> westbrook was like your mentions just blowing up and you're like what the hell is going on right here yeah i looked at twitter and they're like oh my god you suck you're a bum <laughs> you dropped four passes i'm like what the hell are you talking about i don't even, I, I literally don't even remember the game at all i do remember that we lost in new orleans i remember that but other than that uh it was all a blur uh, it's okay. Uh, I will admit my losses, uh, seeing as how you took that one on. I wrote down my bets before the weekend, and not I picked the side and the total. And in truly incredible fashion, after doing well on Saturday, on Sunday, I went 0 for 6. I predicted the wrong team and the wrong total in all three games. Titans mm. plus 3.5 in the over. Eh. Uh Bears plus 10 and a half in the over eh. Steelers minus five and a half in the under eh. like the Browns had 28 points in the first quarter and I'm going, <laughs> did I do this? Like, was this my fault? One of the worst betting days of my life. So I just wanted to make you feel a little bit better about your drive. I appreciate that. It was a, it was a weird weekend I, I thought, but it was an interesting weekend. And I think probably the most fun weekend that I've had in a very long time, three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, and of course, the big game tonight. Yeah. Uh, Ingber, uh, we were going back. Ingber had a great poker night last night. So he's feeling did high he? and mighty. Yeah. I did. I took my initial cash investment and spun it up 6X last night. I uh, nice. was feeling really nice by midnight. Um, and most of the money wasn't taken from good friends of mine. It was taken from two randos that were like friends of friends that were in the group. I hate taking, you know what I mean? When you're playing poker with your friends, you don't want to just like take money from them because they're just going to get it back from you the following week. These were with two guys I'd never met before. Fantastic. Uh, I know that the way we're going to go through a bunch of the games is Ingber has some burning questions for us. Uh, and so hopefully he sees a doctor afterwards and gets it checked. But in the meantime, they <laughs> will be burning. Uh, before, before we get into it, Overall, um, just to kind of set up next weekend and the big matchups we're going to have, this great Rams defense is going to Lambeau to take on Aaron Rodgers, which I think is going to be very exciting. Uh, kind of what I said for the Bucks to make a run here, the Rams upset Seattle, and now Tampa gets New Orleans for the mm -hmm. third time this year. Suddenly, they have an interesting path with the way that Tom Brady is playing. We are going to have the Buffalo Bills taking on the Baltimore Ravens battle of that 2018 draft class, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, and really two exciting offenses with two quarterbacks that we don't even know what they're going to do. And then really what Ingber was saying a few weeks ago, could the Browns be the team that shocks the Chiefs with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and that ground game? So I think an awesome week of divisional football uh, kind of setting up um, Westbrook, before we get into it, was there anything from this weekend that you have a hot take about that you got to get off your chest right now? Um, a hot take. Hmm. 
You know, a, a couple of things. So number one, when I look at it, I'm saying, okay, run the football, run the football, run the football. We saw three teams that ran the ball very well, obviously won it. And now you now they get to play teams that are going to throw the football. It's they're, they're, They go completely opposite. Okay, now they got to throw the football, score points. And so it's going to be interesting to see how those three teams, and I'm talking about the Browns, obviously they ran the ball well. The Rams ran the ball very well. Cam Akers yeah. did his thing, and we know what Baltimore did running the football. And, and then we look at three teams. It's just interesting to me. Three teams that, that throw the ball a bunch, Saints, Tampa Bay, and the Bills. Quarterback-driven teams, not so much of a run game in any of those teams, maybe a little bit with the Saints. It's, it's just interesting how people go about winning football games. Do you want to run the ball, control the clock, or can you devise a game plan similar to the Ravens? And I think this was interesting about the Ravens. The question was, can the Titans get up enough to get them out of their run game. Right. And they couldn't. 10 points just wasn't enough. I mean, that that's that's the key. If you can't get up by at least 14 or more, then you can't get them out of the run game. That, that was the one thing that I saw this weekend that, that kind of interests me as we move forward here. The other thing, lastly, this and this is it. This is important. This is why me and David are best friends, right? I get on the call today. First thing I notice, the hair. Boom. New hairdo. New hairstyle is cool. It's sleek. Yeah, it's John Stamos esque. Yeah, it's it's like it's, it's a nice you. hairdo. A good. I, mean, I thought you were a good friend to him, and obviously I was wrong. You didn't even mention the hair. Didn't even see it. Didn't mention it. You don't care. It's the care. It's the, that's how friendships are born. Care, trust, concern. David, what was the first so thing like, I said when though, I got on? Even here? though me and Ingber are sitting here with like curly hair and matching black shirts, and we totally planned our wardrobe together, suddenly <laughs> I'm the asshole. Okay. I yeah. think noticing someone's new hairdo is like one level above remembering their birthday. It's just, Candidly, it's a sense. I didn't know if intimacy. it was a new haircut. It kind of looked like he just got out of the shower. And so I don't know what it's going to turn into <laughs> when it's dry. <laughs> By the time at the end of the show, it may be yeah. something different, but it was pretty cool. Oh, my goodness. This is literally the last thing. So I get a little package from my Ooh. good friend, Adam Lefko. I don't know if you can yes. see this here. So I'm like, I wonder what the hell Adam Lefko sent me. And so my wife was like, you know, you need to open it up. So I was going to open it on the show, but she forced me to open it. And what is it? Exquisite Collection Games Combo Pack. Look at that. Myself and Frankie G, one of my favorite players ever that I play with, Frank, Frank Gore. I appreciate that good good friend of mine. I I know how much Frank Gore meant to you, and I know what mm -hmm. it was like to share a team. But I I saw that card, and I was like, I need to get this for Brian. And what I like too is if you look at your patch, it looks like there's a little dirt on it, which means you yeah. wore that in a game. And Absolutely. so I love that really it's nice. also you and the Eagles and Frank and the Niners because I was like, that's that's the team that I think of for both of those guys. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I appreciate that, man. Hey, Thank man. you. Thank of you. course, of course, of course. See, we're getting everybody into sports cards right now. It's becoming a thing. <laughs> uh, Ingber, burning question time. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with last night, Browns versus Steelers. My burning question, number one. I'm going to have one burning question for each game. So Browns-Steelers, burning question. Should the NFL institute a mercy rule if a team is winning 28 nothing after the first quarter? I think last night proved that you shouldn't. I mean, yeah. my, my question is, should Mike Tomlin be questioned after doing something that hasn't been done in 15 years and punting on fourth and one inside of his opponent's 40 when you're down at one point 28 to nothing? 
Um, when it was 28 to nothing, I had to make a decision. Do I put on NBA TV and start getting ready for my next job and watch the highlights? Or do I stick around and really see if a comeback can happen? Because you start thinking of Cleveland and you start thinking about the history of that franchise and you go, man, this would really be the topper. And for, for the, the Steelers had all the momentum and they were coming back. For Mike Tomlin to punt it there uh, is really reprehensible. We saw a few questionable punts. We saw, um, I think the Bills punted, Titans. the Titans. The Bills. Mike yeah. Vrabel had an awful punt in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was interesting because you know ESPN Plus tried out a bunch of analytics stuff. And I know when the Titans punted, uh, Mina Kimes was going nuts, our good friend. But that that game is the reason you don't cancel the game. Because I, I maybe Westbrook can talk about, I'm sure he's been in a game where they've been up big, or I know he's been in Eagles-Giants games where the Giants were up big. But how does that momentum happen? Is it just the other team? Like they just go through a few possessions where they don't need to score. And if, is it the old 40 year old virgin? If you don't use it, you lose it. Like, how does that happen to a team? Well, the, the hard part for for the Browns is that they got up big because of the turnovers and obviously some of the just the great offense that they played early on. And then defensively, you start playing prevent, right? You start playing prevent. And what happens for the Steelers, they start to get a rhythm. They, they catch a couple of balls and complete some passes here and there. They start to get a rhythm. And offensively, for the Browns, you're trying to keep that rhythm. But your rhythm is kind of stunted because you don't want to take any risk. You, you literally don't want to put the ball back in their hands because of turnovers because that's how you got the, the big lead there. So it's a dangerous thing, um, and it's tough. And they they there was a point where I'm saying, you know what, I think the Browns are going to lose this game. They have too. no momentum Third offensively. Quarter. They can't move the ball. They're punting the ball all the time. They're going to lose a game. Um, but, yeah, they, they picked it back up. There was a, also a point, I think the Steelers had just scored, and they just started handing the ball off. Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb. And no matter how many guys they got hurt on the offensive line, because guys seemed like they were going out every series, they kept pounding the football. And my respect and love for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt just continued to go up as the game went on. It Over the course of the season, it, it went up, up, and up. But now it's like these two, it's just hard to stop these two. And Nick Chubb has got so much quicker than he was last year. His ability to cut, make do things like that has been amazing. You know, when you talk about that punt thing, is my belief that when you're in the playoffs and you're down and it's fourth and probably six or less, you don't punt, period. You don't punt. You don't put your team in your situ- in that situation unless you're in a crazy situation, you're backed up or something crazy like that. If you're around the, the midfield, you just don't punt. It doesn't help your team in that situation, especially, God forbid, if you shank the punt, you get a 15, 20-yard punt. It's just not worth it. Uh, the, Do the you punt think there. that was Big Ben's last game ever? I don't. I th- I think he threw for 500 yards, which obviously is inflated. Yeah. But I, I gotta think if I'm if I'm Big Ben, I know that I got Claypool coming back. I know that the the team is still we got to figure it out and adjust and all that. I know that the defense should be great again next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Big Ben went through quarantine and and he got a lot skinnier this year and. It, I feel like he has one more year left. I don't feel like this is going to be the last year of Big Ben. I just and I kind of hope not either. You know what I saw, and this is kind of another take that I that I got from the weekend that there were a couple teams, including the Steelers, um, that just need to change their complete offense. They need to overhaul everything. 
the Steelers have to they, they can't keep going into games, especially in that division without a run game. You just can't do it. And if they're going to bring back Ben, you got to find a way to, to bolster that run game. Seattle the same way. If, if you want to play in that division Agreed. or even in that conference, you can't play the way that you're playing. You have no run game and you're dependent upon big plays. You got that yeah. that broken play with DK Metcalf. You can't play in the NFL that way anymore, especially because you don't have that dominant defense. Has Juju, I'll, these are these are my uh, afterburners. So Ingber asked the burning question. I asked the afterburners. Has Juju gone from the most loved player in the NFL to the most disliked player in the NFL in like a year and a half? I feel like he went from like, this guy gets it. He's got a YouTube channel. He's super engaged on Twitch. He he understood he's the next generation athlete. When AB was on the other side, he was putting up insane numbers. And now back-to-back years where I'm not going to say it's disappointing, but compared to what he was that first year, the numbers are down. And it, I really feel like people are throwing a lot of blame on him for this downturn after they started off 11-0. I don't blame Juju at all. Um for, for what they've been done, what they've become as a football team. I mean, they got a bunch of different issues. Obviously, to me, the injuries to the defensive side of the ball were a huge Devin Bush and then Bud Dupree not having those guys there is huge. But I, I think Juju, um, he, he did become a YouTube star. And what happened as he became a YouTube star, his playing went the other way. You know what I'm saying? His ability right. to make plays went the other way. And when you want to build your brand, which is cool, I have absolutely no issue with players building their brand. I think you should go out and do that. You have to back it up on the field. And because he didn't back it up on the field, that's when people start to say, oh, man, he's not doing the right thing. He's hurting the football team. But if he was putting up, you know, 150 yards every game, he would be the the, the most liked player in the NFL very, very easily. Mm. I just – it sure does feel like everybody turned on him. And it's, it's what I say about athletes. It's, it's going to happen to Luca. It's ha- it happened to Steph earlier this year. It's going to happen to Mahomes. And that's the one that I think is going to be interesting because Mahomes, I don't think can win the MVP or the Super Bowl every year. I mean, that's still out for debate, but like the one year he loses, uh, people turn on people. And mm-hmm. wide receivers, it happens quick because the wide receivers have the least amount of control over their success. It's on the offensive line, the quarterback, the play calling, all that stuff. Um, we, we saw it with Odell. Uh, we've seen it with a lot of guys. But I just I was taken aback at the vitriol that Juju's gotten. And it's, it's not easy being a football player, man, with personality because everybody yeah. really wants you to stick to sports. I think he should continue to show his personality. There was a couple of things that he had going against him this year. No run game. So defenses are solely focused on the pass game. Big Ben being injured and coming back and just not having a great season being old. But he also was sharing a spotlight with two other guys. Uh, Claypool was there and Johnson was there. I mean, that's a lot for a slot receiver to have to do to share the spotlight. So I think it, it was a tough situation for him. Probably a perfect storm as far as if you want to pick on Juju. Yeah. All right, Ingber. Next burning question. Ow, it's hot. That you just do a live <laughs> drop. That was great. Bear Saints. This is an easy one. What do we as a podcast have to do to make sure that ESPN gets slime cannons for every game next year? Mm-hmm. Did you guys one watch the Nickelodeon broadcast and two try to get your kids to watch the Nickelodeon broadcast? <laughs> I just watched the that they did a like a nice seven minute package of all the best moments, including the young Sheldon stuff and the SpongeBob clips. 
And I just loved it because it was slightly different than anything I'd ever seen before. Anytime there's something different, like when they added the really green grass on third down a few years ago, I was like, oh, I've never seen this before in a football game. You get into week after week, you see the same things, you see the same routines. This was just something I'd never seen before, and I just love it. And I wish networks would just try stuff like this more. You know, I didn't watch it at all. I, I saw a lot of the, the highlights, kind of the clips of it when people are getting slimed and things like that. But I, I think it was a great idea. If, if, if Little Brian was a little bit older, um, I, I think I would have had him sitting down watching the game on, on Nickelodeon. I, I think it was pretty cool, the idea. I, I really believe um, baseball should probably try to adopt that because, you know, if you're trying to get kids into that game, you, you certainly should think about that. The one here's a big thing. I, I'm watching the Saints game. And tell me if you guys feel me. And I know, Lefko, you're a shoe guy, too. Sean Payton is getting slimed after the game. With fucking 11s on. I was going going nuts. I was like, are you that rich? Like how many pairs of 11, and he is, but how many pairs of 11s (laughs) do you have where you don't, like I've seen people take off 11s to propose because they don't want to crease the front. And this man's just sitting there going, slime me. Uh Let me take these off and then get slimed. That was the first thing I thought too. I was shocked when I saw it. And obviously, here's the other thing. I think Mike Thomas is a Nike guy, too. I mean, he's a Jordan guy. So maybe he has a bunch of them. But I've been looking at it like, oh, my God, uh, you're going to get killed for that. But it is what it is. When you you got it, you got it. That's why I love it. That's like the ultimate flex. It is. It is a very big flex. The guy who bought the $16 million horse at auction and then that horse never ended up winning a race, this is the shoe equivalent of that. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I, you know... I thought it was very funny that on the Nickelodeon broadcast, there was like a distinct F-bomb drop and a fight between a wide receiver yeah. and a cornerback. Because um, I, I, was, I was just thinking like, what are they going to do on the Nickelodeon broadcast when they're showing like a hit to the head? Like, are we going to mm-hmm. replay and zoom in on this a lot? Um, I, I'm like Ingber where I watched it for a little bit and then I was like, okay, I want to go back. Um, but I, I like when people try new things in media. Uh, especially with football, which I find to be the most rigid of all the sports and the repetitive that anytime you try something new, I appreciate it. Um, I wish Javon Wims caught that throw by Trubisky because it changes the game. And there's, I know it's, it goes into the hall of the ultimate what ifs where, you know, how different do they play deep from then on? How uh, how much more confidence does Trubisky have? And it's hard to put a lot on Trubisky because he that was the dime of all dimes, um, right in his basket, right there. He, he relaxed. That's what happened when you when you're running the route and you're like, oh, I'm wide open, and the ball's right here. He relaxed and and dropped it. And oh my god, that that changes the game. Who, who knows what happens after that? Maybe the defense now kicks it up another notch. Maybe the Saints start pressing a little bit. Uh, you can't make – we saw some mistakes over the weekend that you just can't make in playoff football. That's why the Patriots and, – and, and you know this, David. The Patriots were so good in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl because they didn't make any mistakes. They weren't going to turn the ball over. They were going to make all the plays on special teams. They are going to make all the routine plays on defense, tackling, defending. You can't make plays like that and win – uh, in, in the playoffs. It's, it's just too hard to win these types of games. 
That's why Belichick always emphasized special teams because there was always one guy on punt coverage, one guy on field goal coverage, just one little thing, that little mistake that turns three points into seven points because there was an offsides or it turns, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the 20 yard line. Now you're down backed up in the three yard line. Those little yep. things, they make the biggest difference over the course of the game. In terms of that fight, uh, Anthony Miller was ejected because he got and he punched Saints safety CJ Gardner Johnson. Now, Gardner Johnson is a known agitator. This guy has gotten Michael Thomas in trouble when he wasn't on the Saints before. He has had a lot of people punch him in the face. And I was watching, out of for some reason, um, the uh, I think it was an interview with Pardon My Take, and they were talking to Matt Schaub, and it was about um, Andre Johnson's fight with, uh, man, that guy on the Titans. Do you remember who that was? Uh, Westbrook is shit-talking cornerback for the Titans. I'll look it up. Oh, Cortland but, Finnegan, wasn't it? Thank you. Cortland Finnegan. Yeah. Have, have you been on the field with a defensive back who spends the entire game really trying to get people to fight him? Have you, do, you, have you, do you have an experience like that? You know, I had an experience with Sean Taylor. He wasn't trying to get people to t- fight him, but he was – he was talking. He was saying some things that, <laughs> yeah, that that were just so, nasty, so dirty. Is that things. it? Because Ray Lewis said stuff too. But my question is: is is it the combination of somebody that talks shit the entire time that you don't respect? And I'm not saying that people that C.J. Garner Johnson. I'm not talking trash about you, but he's not Sean Taylor. He's not Ray Lewis. Right. Cortland Finnegan was in that mold too, where it's like. Why are you talking like you're Sean Taylor and you're not? So is that the requirement? Do you think the start of fight is you talk an unnecessarily amount of trash and then people also don't think you're an all pro? Well, no, the requirement for me was you talk a lot of trash and you, you deliver cheap shots. It's the cheap shots. I, if you talk trash and you bang me up in, in between the whistles, I'm cool with that. But if you're talking trash and you cheap shot me, that's going to be a problem. We're, we're probably going to have a fight. I remember back in 08, we're playing in the, the NFC championship game. Um, out in Arizona. And I can't remember what the defensive end his name was, but it was just a cheap shot. I mean, I wasn't looking. It was a blind hit, and he knocked me. I mean, he knocked the mess out of me. And now I'm ready to fight at this point. So we're going back and forth, and, you know, it was right at the end of the game. But, yeah, it's, it's for me, it's always been about the cheap shots. Here, here's the thing I, I got to wonder. If you're the Bears, what do you think happens after that? Let's, let's say you punch a guy. You already know what happens. You've seen that you did that early in the year. They one of the guys did that. Why, why would you want to do that in a playoff game when your team absolutely needs you? They, they need receivers to try to win the game, to try to go down and try to score. Why, why would you put your team in that situation? To me, that's just a immature, terrible move uh, by, by by a football player at that point. Mm. Uh, Saints going forward, a little afterburner for you. Um, not talking about the matchup. But after the game, do you feel uh, more or less confident about their their chances to make a run at this Super Bowl? I didn't love the way Drew Brees Drew Brees played. I, I thought he was off a little bit, and that may still be from the you know not playing for you know a month or so there. I, I didn't love Michael that. Thomas looked good though. Michael Thomas looked good. You know, I thought their defense played well, and you kind of got to gauge that versus Trubisky. Um, but th- when when you have a defense that can get off the field. I mean, the Saints, you know, they had the ball for almost 40 minutes. That that means your defense was only on the field for 20 minutes. That's just a good thing. You're able to get off the field. They held uh, the, the Bears to 10% um, efficiency on third down. That's impressive. Um, so so that, that's what I love to see about the Saints. And, and here's the other part. And th- we'll talk about the matchup a little bit later. 
they have the ability to get to the quarterback with four guys. That's going to play big dividends when you play the Bucks this this weekend. Uh, the one other thing I'll say, because the big question will be after this, is what do the Bears do with Trubisky? Uh, mainly because when he came in at the end of the year, they put up 36, 33, 41. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think now we know the truth. The 36, 33, and 41 was against the Texans, the yeah. Vikings, and the Jaguars. Three of the yeah. worst defenses in the league. He put 16 up against the Packers, and it should have been three against the Saints, but it ended up being nine. And I think that Trubisky right now um, has some talent, and I think the throw to Javon Wims, it would have been really nice if it was completed. But I, I, I do not think that they can go into the future with him as their starting quarterback. If they can find a way to come up with some backup options, maybe. But that, that was fool's gold for those three weeks, and I think now the last two weeks have given us our true answer for Trubisky. At least Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a backup in Chicago next year. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I, you have to find a way to get a spark offensively. Then I get to be on Gridiron Heights forever. Yeah, that'll be pretty cool. <laughs> I, I think one, one thing that's very important for the Bears, no matter who the quarterback is, especially to, comp- to, to combine with that defense, you got to get a consistent run game. You have to have that. You have the ability to play in cold weather. Six or seven of those home games, you're going to be playing in cold weather. Get yourself a run game. Get that defense to get a break on the sideline and get a quarterback that compliments you there. Matt Nagy, if he's there next year, has to start thinking uh, along those lines because offensively and defensively, you're not playing complimentary football at all. Speaking of Ryan Fitzpatrick, there was a nice little stat about uh, Big Ben last night. First time that someone threw four touchdowns and four interceptions since my man Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2012. And I thought that was like such a Ryan Fitzpatrick-y yeah, totally. stat. Who else could that possibly have been? Maybe Favre, but uh, that, that felt very fitzy to learn that. Oh. What did you guys think about Deontay Harris? Small guy, just getting it done yesterday, though. I mean, he seemed like he was always open. He was always finding uh, you know a, a hold in the defense, and he's fast. He's quick. I, I love seeing small guys do those types of things. I was surprised he had a breakout type of game last well, night. You're a I think it's a very good Bears defense. You, you love that. Yeah, I am a hydus. You're short. right. I'm always shooting. Yeah, you know what? Like Bears won that game with Tariq Rooting Cohen yesterday with his short ass. Um, I love Tariq. No, I think um, <laughs> I think that's that's what I love about Sean Payton, Kyle Shanahan, Josh McDaniels, uh, Sean McVay is like this, where in a big game – they can game plan for a guy that really hasn't seen the ball all year. And it really doesn't matter who they have there because they're going to put them in a position to get open and then they just have to execute. Um, but uh, that, that's why I give the Saints so much love is, you know, it's 7-3 in the first half, but every second half, Sean Payton comes out and goes, oh, that's what your plan is for me? I'm going to destroy you. And that's why I think the Saints always have a chance yeah. because their adjustments at, at halftime are unbelievable. Next, the best grill question. that you've ever seen. Uh, Alvin Kamara? Absolutely. Best grill ever. I mean, and he's always smiling. I mean, it just diamonds across. It's, it's pretty, it makes me laugh every time I see it, but that's, that's pretty amazing. He can play with that in his mouth. It's Alvin Kamara is one of those guys too that he he believes that he's destined to be great and there's there's zero fear and I was reading this book recently that was talking it was like a Yogi Berra quote where it's like you can't hit and think at the same time 
and you don't you don't mm-hmm. worry about picking up the plays and all that stuff. And Kamara to me is like one of those guys when I hear him talk, where he goes, "No, I'm I'm going to be the one of the greatest running backs that I've ever played," and I it's it it comes out of him in everything, the way he stands, the way mm-hmm. he moves, the grill, like. Camaro is one of those guys that you just, he emanates greatness. He emanates greatness yep. out of his being. And I, he, he's up there for like my favorite watches. And it's not just because of how he plays. It's the swag on the yeah. sideline. I can't get over it. the swag. That's yeah. It. I, I still think they can use him in a, in a different way though. I mean, I, I still think they, I mean, he had 99 yes, rushing yards yesterday. I still think he can get over hundred rushing yards every single game and got to have 75, 80 yards in passing a, a, every, every single game. I, I can see that for him. Next up on burning questions. Ooh, is that lava? <laughs> burning questions, Rams, Seahawks, should the other team just go home if you're losing to Sean McVay at halftime? Oh yeah, what's his record now? Thirty-eight and zero. That is insane. I mean, if you're eleven and zero, you could call it a statistical oddity. Maybe fifteen and zero. At thirty-eight and zero, I don't know. There must be something that he's doing that other teams are not doing because I feel like a lot of people that go into the locker room at halftime they say, "All right, we're down 10-3. What do we need to change? All right, we're down thirteen-six. We need to change up the way we're doing this or that." With Sean McVay. I feel like he's up 10-3, and then he's like, they're going to change this, this, and this, so we're going to preemptively change it ourselves. You can't come back up against it. That is insane, 38 nothing. And then when you add the point to, uh, I was reading this book, that apparently teams that are one that are like within three points losing in the first half actually win more games. Do better in the second half, yes. yeah. Uh, so when you factor that in, it's crazy. I would love to know who's even close to Sean McVay. Like I would imagine Belichick's career stats when leading at halftime are pretty damn good and Andy Reid and all that stuff. But 38 and 0 is unbelievable. And you're also doing it with a quarter of John Wolford and then a Jared Goff that has pins in his hand from surgery two weeks ago, where you know they're gonna have to run it over and over and over again. I'm I'm taken away though, taken aback at the level of this defense and how for three games in a row, other than that one busted play, Jalen Ramsey said, "DK Metcalf, you ain't doing shit." Um, yeah. I, the Sean McVay is a leader. It's funny that everybody jumped on him last year when they didn't make the playoffs with all the injuries they had, but it, the consistency that he has that team on is unreal. Thirty-eight zero is a testament to him, Westbrook. I'm, I'm just taken aback at that guy you know when I talked about the Bears and how the offense and defense has to complement each other and with that you can go a long way even without great quarterback play so they didn't get the Rams didn't get great quarterback play from Jared Goff however Cam Akers had a great great game 123 yards 100 actually 131 yards rushing the ball um, on 28 carries That, that was impressive and then you combine that with the defense. We talk about the Bears defense, similar to the Rams defense. They have the ability to get after the quarterback with, with just four guys. Leonard Floyd is, is, is a man child yeah. out there. And, of course, Aaron Donald is the defensive player of the year. We know what that is. But when you combine that pass rush with the ability to get after your number one receiver with Jalen Ramsey, I mean, that that's just the worst, the worst possible matchup for the Seahawks was playing someone in their division and someone that can send one guy out there, Jalen Ramsey, and cover DK Metcalf. 
that was the worst possible matchup for the for the Seahawks, and they and they got it yesterday. Um, it, it was impressive to watch the Rams' defense play. I mean, I, I, I love great defense, but that front four is just absolutely nasty. The one thing I do have concerns with going forward is is Aaron Donald and hoping he's healthy because yeah, this is going to be this weekend with the Packers and the Rams. Aaron Rodgers, who might, who will likely be the MVP of the league, executing at a higher level than anybody, taking on this Rams defense, which feels like the best defense in football right now. And now back-to-back weeks, Ramsey goes from locking up DK Metcalf to, I hope, following Devontae Adams around. And it's what what another great matchup. But but it, again, it feels like. You know, Rodgers has a really good feel. I feel like the Packers offense, everyone says it's just Devontae Adams, but Tunyon and our guy, um, uh, uh, Valdez Stanley and Alan Lazard. Yeah. Lazard and, and, and also like Aaron Jones. And it, this is a really, really great matchup. I, where do you, where do you lean originally when, when kind of thinking about it? Well, my, my first thought is, and I'm going to go back to this game against the, the Seahawks. Their big, their big play receiver down the field was DK Metcalf, and we obviously know what Tyler uh, Lockett can do, but he just wasn't the big, the same type of threat. The the Packers, they, just like you mentioned, they got threats all over the field. They can run the football. Jones, obviously, Dylan when 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 he was out there, um, but Alan Lazard, uh, uh, Valdez Scantling, this is their game. This is their game to step up and say, you know what. We're here to help this team win. When we talk about uh, these games, especially in the playoffs, and more so say it in basketball, the starters count, but it's the second team guys that come in and play great defense and score. That's what this game is all about. What can those secondary receivers do? Because Devontae Adams, as good as he is, is going to have a long day against Jalen Ramsey. I think it's going to be a great matchup. They'll probably get the best of each other. Jalen Ramsey was on DK Metcalf for 22 of the 31 routes, and Mm -hmm. Metcalf had three catches for 33 yards on seven targets. Uh, The other cornerback, Darius Williams, the one that had the pick six, uh, among 148 cornerbacks with at least 100 coverage snaps. This is all from my guy Warren Sharp. Uh, Williams had the fifth lowest completion rate allowed and was 17th in adjusted yards. For comparison, Ramsey was seventh. So they have both of these guys on that team. Wilson had an expected completion percentage, which means like when you should it throws, of only 52%. That's how unopen his receivers were, that at the peak of what he was supposed to do, the maximum was 52%. He came in at around 41%. I just I feel like in today's NFL, a guy like Aaron Rodgers with, with his control of the offense, I usually bet on the quarterback over the defense. Like here we have a matchup where I actually think we're going to get a lot out of the Packers defense. I think they're going to be a surprise these next two weeks. But when you have a matchup of great defense and a stellar offense, I typically go with the quarterback. And I don't know where you go on this one, Westbrook. The only time I really didn't feel like it happened was when Peyton Manning and the Broncos got destroyed in the Super Bowl by the Legion of Boom. Well, in in this matchup, talking about Rams-Packers, I lean towards Aaron Rodgers, his ability to get the ball out quickly. I, I love the way that Matt LaFleur schemes quick, quick throws, quick smoke screens, quick screens, get the ball out into the wide receivers really quickly. That that kind of eliminates the pass rush just a bit. And I know Aaron Rodgers saw the game, and I know that he'll be watching tape on that. 
And again, you have the ability to get the ball to the tight end and two other receivers, obviously, other than Devontae Adams, that, that that's going to be huge. So in this matchup, I lean towards um, uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, and he, this is a big thing. I think it's important to understand. I was talking about it with the buddy in the Tampa Bay versus Washington game. The Seahawks, they want to throw the ball deep down the field. In order to do that, you got to hold the ball. That yeah. means you got to be able to block Donald and, and Leonard Floyd. The Packers, they're willing to do three-step drops and get the ball out quick. That's a different type of offense. And so it's going to be much harder for the Rams to, to play the style of defense that they played against uh, the, the Seahawks against the Packers. Uh, one last thing for me is two years ago, maybe, maybe yeah, two years ago, maybe three, there was big changes in Seattle and Green Bay. Because Russell Wilson was missing some games and Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers went out for the year. In Green Bay, they got rid of Mike McCarthy. They brought in the new coach, Matt LaFleur. He is now 26 and 6. In Seattle, they got rid of Daryl Bevel, their OC, who's now with the Detroit Lions, but they pretty much kept everybody else. The Packers went through wholesale changes. And they rebuilt the identity of their team. And last year, the offense really wasn't clicking. There was a lot of questions. But now we're seeing the fruits of that labor, of that change. Now that they've had time together and they've rebuilt a system around Aaron Rodgers because of his abilities and his mental capability to really control the offense. Russell Wilson, we were given a lot of fool's gold to start the year. 38 against Atlanta, 35 against New England, 38 against Dallas. Wow. They really went and they're going to let Russ cook. But after that midway point, it wasn't real. And Brian Schottenheimer went back to Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll football, which was, oh no, we have a little fear. Let's run the ball 35 times. It is time to rebuild truly around Russ. I am not saying Pete Carroll needs to go. I do not believe Brian Schottenheimer is the answer there. And I think they need to bring in a 21st century offense around what Russell Wilson that puts guys in motion, creates movements, isn't just relying on DK Metcalf outrunning or out muscling somebody to create an opportunity there. I what we have seen from Russ these last few weeks has been dumbfounding to me. He, he, it, the offense looks stagnant. He has nobody open. And I think it's time to rebuild around Russ. And don't just tell us that Russ is going to be cooking. Create a system that allows Russ to cook. Ingber? Yeah, uh, Reddit user HighCardW actually broke down the first seven games versus the next 10 games, including the playoffs, which is that demarcation line is when he actually trademarked Let Russ Cook as a hashtag and as for for Mm. merch. Before, he was 71.5% completion percentage. That went down to 65%. He was getting 307 yards per game. Then it went down to 223. He was doing 8.4 yards per attempt. That went down to 6.7. He was scoring 26 touchdowns in those first seven games, only 18 in the next 10 games. And then this was the most uh, sort of egregious stat to me. He only had six turnovers in those first seven games. He had 12 
in the next 10. So it's not even like he was taking more care of the ball as they moved to a more run-friendly offense. It really started one more time, one more thing, Westbrook. I would say November 8th when they took on Buffalo. If you remember, they started off that first quarter and they were playing from behind and then they kind of contained Russ. Then the next mm-hmm. week they go to LA, they put up 16. And then after that, like they only put up 23 against Philly, even though everything was to DK Metcalf. It was like after the Buffalo game when they kind of got punched in the mouth, they went to the old style of Seattle offense. And Russ wants to play for another 9, 10 years. You know what I mean? Like he's right around 30. He wants to be one of those 40-year-old quarterback guys. And I'm just hoping he can get what Rodgers got, which was a young offensive mind that creates something that that they can thrive in because I do not think they have it right now. Yeah, I think that the offense basically like like you described it, it was the deep ball or nothing. There was no middle of the field for the most part. You know, the tight end play just wasn't there. I know Will Disley didn't have a great year. Um, you know, they they have to figure it out. They have to do something differently. That's what I was kind of mentioning earlier yeah, that their offense has to be third down on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, like that 14%, that's where offensive yeah, no creation comes into play. Yeah, it's just just not not good enough. Um, you know, the other thing that I think they, they have to find a way to get their run game back going. And, and you know, as the season goes on, the one thing that the great teams, you talk about Tampa Bay, you even talk about what they were able to do in New England for a long time, is that they figure out where they're weak at and where they, they, they're strong at. And you got to fix those weaknesses. And that offense never fixed the weaknesses. They never figured out the run game. They never never figured figured out the middle of the field, how to work that. They never figured those things out. And they thought that what they were doing well the first eight weeks of the season would carry them for the entire year, and defense was caught up, and they had no counterpunch. And that's where you're always going to fail if you're a football team. Do you have any other stats from this game, Ingber? Because like this was one of those games. I did say before the weekend that this was going to be the go get lunch with your significant other because it was going to be absolutely <laughs> awful to watch, and it really was. It was, it was the least uh, enjoyable of all the games to me. But I, I feel like, like this is what's funny. Would you rather have the Eagle season where everything is falling apart and you end up with the six pick, or would you rather have a season like the Seahawks where you have so much hope and then it ends with such a dud and now you're, you don't even get your pick because it's going to the Jets for Jamal Adams. Like this is the constant dilemma that I always have, which is would I rather get to a wild card game and have that bad taste in my mouth or have given up all hope beforehand and at least get a really good draft pick? Yeah, I would rather get to the playoffs personally. Yeah. Like I, you know, the when the when the Patriots got their butts kicked in 2009, it was that 33-14 game. I was just looking up that game this morning because it reminded me of the Browns being up 28 nothing before you could blink last night. Uh, it was the same thing in that Patriots Ravens game and it was over and you had to sit there and watch the next two and a half hours, but it was still, I wouldn't trade that for four and a half months of excitement and getting to the playoffs. I wouldn't want a, a crappy team if I could trade that. But I do have a few more stats for you if you're interested. Yeah, please. Uh, Russell Wilson versus the Rams versus all other teams. I thought was really interesting breakdown Uh, against the Rams, only 74 passer rating and five and a half sacks taken per game in all other games. He was 109 passer rating and only 2.6 sacks taken per game. So uh, basically double the sacks and uh, 40 points difference in his passer rating. And uh, another stat that just like floored me once I saw it, 
Uh, in the last four years, the Jacksonville Jaguars have more playoff wins with two than the Seattle Seahawks with one. That's from Praneeth Thala. Wow. And the Seattle one, I think, was just against Dallas. Yeah. It. Okay, let's ask the question. Do we need to have a conversation about whether or not Pete Carroll should stay in Seattle? I know that sounds crazy. He's been there forever, but we are in stagnation city. And I don't mean to drum up the conspiracies and the chaos, but we're sitting here with one less win than the Jacksonville Jaguars in the last few years. And I'm looking at the Seattle team and I'm going, I don't think they're progressing. So is that question crazy or is it a conversation that needs to be had? I don't think that it's crazy. I think you have to make some changes. Now, to me, my first choice would not be moving the, the head coach. My, my first choice, especially for a head coach that's not calling plays on either side of the ball, you move a coordinator. You figure out a defensively and offensively, are these the right guys that we have here? And, of course, I think Schottenheimer, their offensive coordinator, you, you got to start questioning him a little bit. Is this, while, this is the way that we want to run our offense. We have to do something different, at least to catch up now, to what, what the it, NFL is doing. Now here, But here's my question. It is very. It has been noted many times that Pete Carroll is someone that subscribes to the establish the run mentality, and so you know that even though he's not calling plays, he might be leaning, going, "Hey, I want, I want to run the ball here. I really want to pound the rock right now." Yeah, well, yeah, that that may be true, but he may be playing to his coordinator strengths or his team strengths at that time. That's why the offseason are, are are so critical. You got to take an honest look at yourself and say, okay, what do we do well? What do we do bad? And now let's change those things because the bad things we can't come back next year with. We'll have the same result uh, than the next season coming up. Yeah, sorry, Pete Carroll. I don't like to call for people's jobs. It's not what I'm doing here, but I I think it's. It's interesting. Mike Tomlin makes a critical error in the Steelers game. Uh, the Seahawks look completely unprepared for this game. Uh, it's just both of, both of those teams have to change how they do offense all together. Both of them. I mean, you can't play offense like the Steelers tried to do you last night, and you certainly can't play offense like the Seahawks did um, the yeah, day it's before. Yeah, very funny. It's like here is Be- Big Ben in his 40s, doesn't have the arm left, just got Tommy Johns, and they're playing through the pass, and they have no running game. And then you have mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, in his absolute prime, and they're going, let's pound the rock and then, like, save us or us. And it's like – if Russ was on the Steelers and Big Ben was on the Seahawks, I feel like those offenses would have fit those quarterbacks a little bit better. A little bit. A little bit. All right. Let's keep it burning. Next up on Burning Questions. Titans, Ravens, Burning Question. If stomping on the opponent's logo is so disrespectful, why would you keep a huge logo at foot level? (laughs) Yeah, you why know, I, does that upset people so much, Westbrook? It is so silly. It is beyond silly. They they were dancing in the middle of the field. It was the most like petty middle school rivalry. Oh, they danced on our thing. That's that's Stop a great it. question. If they had danced ten yards to the left, I still think would they'd be as upset. I still think they would have. Yeah. You're still on their field. And the whole thing was that you dance on our field. So now we're going to dance on your field. It was so silly. It was so it petty. It would have been a lot better if Juju was there. Because then Juju would have been dancing. <laughs> yeah, Westbrook. I, I think they took it to the dancing. Well, I, I think in this situation, they the, the Ravens took it to a whole different level. They were dancing. They were stomping. They were dragging their feet. They were doing all types of things. Uh, it's certainly beyond disrespectful. And I know you guys saw the fight. 
kind of the argument between Harbaugh's and uh, Mike Rabel right before the game, I think was from last season or even early in the year that they were going back and forth and Harbaugh was saying how disrespectful it was. But let me give you a little player's perspective. So when we played, when we were rolling, when things were going good for us, we were winning a bunch of games. When we played at home, we would always break down our team, meaning all the team would come up and we would say, you know, one, two, three Eagles or whatever it is. You do a little speech on the logo. That's represents, this is our home. This is our house. We got to protect it. Because we are so good that that 2004, um, we would go to other teams' house, uh, other teams' stadium, and do the same thing there. And, of course, that is a disrespectful thing. But when you're playing well, you can do whatever the heck you want because you're saying, I don't care. This is your house. We're taking over. And that's a disrespect right. thing. So I, that, that, that's what all that comes from. Um but it is funny that you mentioned it now that, you know, being a former player, we're protecting this logo on the on the doggone field. That's what we're protecting. Uh, that, that is a kind of a funny thing when you think about it. Man, that game had everything that I wanted. It was very nerve wracking. The beginning where the Titans were up 10 and then Lamar Jackson had that run mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big hole. He just literally caught everybody at the worst angles. He escaped that defensive end that was crashing down. It looked like he was going to get sacked. The Titans sacked him a bunch in the first quarter and a half leading up to that. The linebacker, he just went against him. And then the safety seemingly had him and he outrun him, ran him to the sideline. Does Lamar Jackson still have some issues with passing? That first interception was one of the ugliest I had seen in a while. Do, do yeah. we still worry about him getting hurt? Sure. But in terms of a quarterback playing at a level and at an effort that I would want to be re- represented by, Lamar is is one of my favorite players to watch. My level of respect for him is so high. John Harbaugh, after the game, said it was the greatest run by a quarterback he had ever seen. I don't know where it ranks <laughs> for me. I feel like... Kaepernick's 85-yard touchdown run is up there. Steve Young's 50-yard touchdown run when he was getting past Michael everybody. Michael Vick had up one, there. too. Michael Vick against Minnesota when the two guys yeah. collided in each other. Lamar Jackson. Daniel meet. Jones falling down after Daniel 80 Jones, yards. one of my favorite runs. That's Brian Westbrook, we, wa- we were together when Lamar Jackson had that spin against the Bengals last year, That's and right. it had us That's yelling right. and screaming. Um, I just – I find myself – rooting for Lamar so hard that I question why you wouldn't. I feel like there are people out there that are rooting against Lamar because they want to be right over an opinion that is three years old, that when he was coming out of the draft, they said, meh, I don't see it. And I just wonder, it's the same. I I hosted an event last week and, and, and somebody was like, you know what? My prediction before the year was that the saints were going to go. And so I have to pick them. Why are we so beholden to our old opinions? Doesn't it make sense to, to, oh, that's what I said before the year, but who cares anymore? I I just don't know how you can root against Lamar. I just, I find him to play with pure joy at a, at, at a level that we, we, we ask for our athletes. He is football Allen Iverson, you know, and it's, it's just such a joy. I think people hate on Lamar in a way because they don't want to get past the thought that you can be a running quarterback, a quarterback that has wheels, has the ability to not only, and you mentioned the angles, 
those guys had the angle. Lamar's speed broke down the angles on all those plays. Every last play that he ran, his speed, his ability to get to the same way with Michael Vick really broke down all those angles, and they weren't able to, to, to tackle him at that point. But a lot of people still want to believe, oh, you got to be 6'5 and stand in the pocket and throw the ball 40 times a game to win. That's just not true. Now, if, if, if the question was, if the Titans got up 17-zip, Will Lamar be able to still do those things? But there was a point after the Titans score, they're up 10 zip. I'm saying at this point, Lamar, I think he threw the interception. I put out a tweet and it was simple. Now it's time for Lamar to run. And after that, the whole game plan for the Ravens was run Lamar, try to get to third and short, and maybe we'll throw the ball and, and, and we'll, we'll try to win that way. And Lamar Jackson just took over that football game. I, I do want to give a shout-out to one guy because I think this was important to that football game as it got a little bit tighter. There was a point where Lamar couldn't run anymore, and, and Hollywood Brown showed up big yes, in did. that game, catching a few balls. I mean, it was critical. It was a couple of possessions in a row where he caught the ball very well. He's that deep threat that I think you have to have. And there's kind of a wild card when you talk about uh, the playoffs here. Everyone's going to be gearing up to stop Lamar. Now, what's the next thing? Throw the ball deep to Hollywood Brown. If they can keep him healthy, I think that just adds adds depth to that, that Ravens offense. We talked about it earlier this year. Lamar Jackson was a few feet off from Hollywood and Mark Andrews every game. Mm-hmm. And now what we're seeing is when those passes get connected, what do you do against this team? I think also for Wink Martindale and that defense to go out there and to limit Derrick Henry to 40, 50 yards was a testament to to that defensive staff. I think we've been very caught up in in Lamar and the offense these last few weeks that we also haven't noticed the defense ramping it up as well. Um, But I want to give a shout out to my guy and the ultimate shit stirrer in all of the NFL, Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters not only got that game-clinching interception, but when Lamar Jackson ran down and and slid, Marcus Peters was out there cursing up and wanting to fight everybody. Mm -hmm. And I say this with all of my heart. He means it. This is no game. This is Marshawn Lynch's cousin. This is Marcus fucking Peters that will say anything to anyone at any time. He doesn't care about the past. He's not worried about the future. He's just going to tell you right now, we're going to beat you. And I love it. I love the way that all of these Ravens play football. They play as though there's no tomorrow and they do not care about what you said about them in the past. Um, I... The, the Ravens really are a team. We, we always say that the team mirrors the personality of their coach. Mm-hmm. And John Harbaugh, they, they are that guy. They are, they're just going to let it all out there. I love this team. And I think this matchup with the Bills is very, very exciting. Um, the Bills have some linebackers that are going to be able to run with Lamar. I think um, the, the McDermott and that coaching staff and Leslie Frazier have played guys like Lamar. And I think the fact that both quarterbacks are mobile will help the defense in practice and all that understand how to contain. Um, but that game has a chance to be super exciting. I'm not going to predict the over because I'm, that's not what I do anymore. <laughs> I'm retired from that. You know, <laughs> we, we talk about matchups and games, and I think it was a terrible matchup for the Seahawks versus the Rams, obviously, because of the defense and ability to cover with Jalen Ramsey. I think this is just a bad matchup for the Bills. 
the the Ravens have a very good secondary. They can go play man-to-man with any of those three guys that you have back there in the back end. And then when you have a healthy Calais Campbell, that just shuts things down in the run game. That, that turns things in a whole different direction as, as far as the run game goes. And when I watched the Bills this past week against Phillip Rivers, I fully expected Leslie Frazier's defense to get after Phillip Rivers, to blitz him, to, to pressure him, to make him uncomfortable. And after that game, I was like, uh, I love Leslie Frazier. He was with me in Philly. But I don't know that their defense got after Phillip Rivers. They had they didn't have any sacks. He didn't look pressured, didn't look hairy. He looked like he had enough time to do whatever he wanted in the pocket. I, I'm, I'm wondering how well they'll play against a guy like Lamar. I mean, if he has ability and time in the pocket, especially after a couple of runs and the safeties are moving up, I think being able to throw the ball down the field, that option certainly will be there. Mm. You got some more stats for us, uh, Burning Man? Yes, of course. I like Burning Man. Yeah, That's I like not bad. it too. Uh, this is from uh, Reddit user Praise Sabin. Vrabel's Titans have punted from inside the opponent's 45 a total of six times this season. Wow. Three of those times were on fourth and three or less. I think there's something about the swagginess of Mike Vrabel that he said he wanted to fight the other coaches, that people just think of him as like uber aggressive. Let's go for two. Let's go for it on fourth and one. And that just isn't the case. Mm. Whereas certain other guys look like kind of grumpy old school football guys like Belichick and they go for it on fourth and one and fourth and two every single time. It's just one of those things that just the numbers do not back up what I feel like people think of when they think of Mike Vrabel and the way he runs his What offense. established this with Vrabel was a game in London where I believe the Titans were playing the Colts and he went for it on fourth down to like win the game or a two-point conversion with Derrick Henry. And that, it was like a standalone morning game. And sometimes in a standalone game, you get defined by one play call. I was very fascinated too with the fight between Vrabel and Derrick Henry on the sideline um, where I... You don't you don't know what they're fighting about. But I will say that there was a number of short yarded situations where they didn't give it to Derrick Henry. And mm-hmm. as somebody that had Derrick Henry on his fantasy team and watched Derrick Henry intently all year, Derrick Henry, it's as if he needs in the first few quarters, even if you don't get the first down on third and two, you need to let him run. Because there's, it's it's almost like he needs to get into this momentum after like a quarter or two getting stopped to where he finds that flow in the third and fourth quarter. And I know that Tannehill and A.J. Brown can connect and all that, but that fight was really interesting. And I, I, I hope we get more details as to what happened. I'm sure there was just a little bit of frustration bubbling over, but not the best Arthur Smith game in a, in a week where everyone's interviewing Arthur Smith for head coaching opportunities, but... Uh, it's Derrick Henry to me feels like one of those guys where even if it's not having success early, you still need to give him the rock because of what it allows him to do in the, in the third and fourth quarter after they've hit him for the first two. I didn't feel like they went to him enough. He's a volume back. I mean, volumes back volume backs uh, need at least 20 carries. He only got 18 yesterday, but they need at least 20 carries just to get going and not only just to get hit. Why, but- why is that? Well, because he's one of the, he's not one of these small, quick guys that only need 10, 12 touches. He's not a guy like Alvin Kamara where he can get in space and he's going to hurt you. 
He's a guy that he'll wear you down third and fourth quarter. That's where he makes his money at. And if he gets going in the first quarter, then you just know it's going to be a long day. He's a big physical bruiser. You see, you see that really about they, a lot of the running backs that come out volume, of Alabama. Do they need the volume to get used to where the holes could be against this defense? Do they need the volume to simply wear them down so they don't want to tackle them as much? Do they need yeah. the volume? Like, do they get more warmed up? Are the pistons firing a little bit more? Like, that's more what I'm asking. I think there is twofold. Number one, you need the volume because it gets you warmed up a little bit, but it also gets your juices flowing like, yeah, I'm smashing them in the mouth, and now I can see the pain on their face. There's a point in the game where you can see, okay, this team is tired or this team doesn't want to tackle anymore. And as a running back, you're going back to huddle like, just keep running it, keep running it. The offensive line sees it, the running back sees it, you feel that. So you see a team wearing down. The other part is once they were once they're worn down, you know, 6'4, 240 coming at you, you got to make business decisions. And when you don't, when you don't give them 20 carries, only had, again 18 carries yesterday, that doesn't allow a defense to get worn down. And, and you can tell how fresh the Ravens were towards the end of that football game. No doubt. Anger. Shall we move on? Now it is time for the next. Burning question. Ow, ow, ee, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, ee, ee. Washington versus the Buccaneers. Mm. Should Canton start prepping a place for Taylor Heineke right now, or should we wait until after next season? <laughs> Here's a hot take that no one's going to like, but I think this is true. The way that Taylor Heineke played, um, was it Saturday night? He played better than any other quarterback in the NFC East all season long. He, he just did. I mean, he, he looked confident. He ran the ball well. He was he was accurate in passing. He escaped the blitz. He gave his receivers opportunities to win on the outside. I mean, he just literally when I'm as I'm watching the game, I'm thinking hmm, he probably is going to start for Washington next year. There, there's no doubt in my mind if they give him an opportunity, he should be. I mean, again, that was one game, but it was a good game against a very aggressive defense. And he showed very well um, if you're Taylor Heineke. Westbrook, you sound PFF like... PFF gave him the highest QB grade of the weekend. Wow. They gave him a 92. Second place was Tom Brady with 90.8. Westbrook, you sound like a former player that watched a guy played and said, I'd love if he was my quarterback. That's what you sounded like right there. I, I think he played well. I think... So, again, I'm I'm looking at it, and I probably sound like a guy that that took the bucks and you know in minus the eight and a half that's what that's the type of guy that i sound like and i'm upset that he played so well because i was counting on alex smith playing and i'm like oh this is gonna be great todd bowles defense will get after him um and and he because he can't move taylor heineke can that's the type of guy that i was so i watched him play a very good game i was happy for him and i think again for for washington it wasn't necessarily about the playoffs this year ron rivera is trying to build something there and I think this this game, even though they lost, they played it close. They were tough. They fought hard. I thought they played a great fucking game. I think that this game will catapult them in the next couple of years. That culture, that character, that organization, and Ron Rivera as a head coach um, will continue to get it done. Ingber and I did bet on the game. Uh, the line we took was eight and a half. Uh, and there was, right before that last drive, uh, I'm in a group chat and like Gary V's in it and stuff. And they're going, oh shit, Steven Montez is about to come in. Because remember, Heineke got hurt and had to go to the locker room. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. They, they, rep- showed him on the they represent Montez. And they're like, oh my God, one of our clients might actually get in this game. 
And then Heineke drives down for the touchdown. And I texted and I was like, really could have used your client in there instead of Heineke right, right there. So yeah, I had the cover and then Ingber, congratulations. Uh, and you. I sent him the money and to which he responded, always by the hook. And that's, it really is, man. The hook will fucking get you every time. 0.5 points. Doesn't seem like a lot until it seems like the entire universe. That extra point. Didn't, they, didn't the, the Bucks miss an extra point early in the game? They did. As soon as it they happened. They were up 9-7 instead of 10-7. As soon yeah, as it happened, I'm like, everything. ah, there it is. That's the one point. That's, that's what it was. Um, to, to that point about uh, Heineke, uh, the Around the NFL guys had a great thing about it. Uh, I think it was Sessler where he said that performance by Heineke pretty much locks him in as a 10-year backup in the NFL. Totally. Where, where it's like, oh, wow, you can perform on a stage like that. And mm-hmm. he comes from the Patriots uh, room where you heard the broadcasters during the game said he tried to beat every player in on the first day and he gets there at five in the morning and Tom Brady had been there for a half an hour. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, when you have a guy that started off in the Patriots organization and plays like that and you got Chase Young who there's this interesting thing that sometimes pass rushers are very um, – uh, they, they can tell the future. I remember Von Miller had this streak for a while where he kept predicting players to have success, and they did. He faced Trent Brown, who was a six-round draft pick, uh, and was like, this kid's great. Ends up being one of the highest-paid tackles in the NFL. Uh, they played one game against Patrick Mahomes in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year, uh, and, he, and it was the only game Mahomes played, and he goes, this kid's going to be a star. Pass rushers, for some reason – are have a, a very good idea of predicting the future. And he loves Heineke. And this is a Washington team where I know we say he might be a backup. Do you give Heineke a chance to be the starter in week one next year? Like, I know that's crazy, uh, but I feel like Westbrook's going to say yes. You give him a chance. I mean, if, if it's between him or Alex Smith, yes, you give him a chance. I, I, I certainly believe they'll bring in a veteran quarterback or someone to try to come in and compete for that starting job. But I wouldn't have no problem at all just giving him a chance. He showed well in the biggest game, most important game of the season for Washington. Why wouldn't you give him that opportunity unless now you're saying, okay, we can go find this a-plus starting quarterback, then, of course, that's a different story. But if you're going to go back to like a retread, absolutely, I'm giving them that opportunity. Man. He, he, well, here's the thing. He can throw the ball very well, strong arm. He can move around the pocket, and he can run. That's what you're looking for in a quarterback. Why wouldn't you give him that opportunity, especially if the players on the team feel and understand him and believe in him? That's an important thing as well. I think one of the most memorable moments of the weekend for me – was when they put up the George Blanda Tom Brady graphic and they showed 42 year old or 43 year old now, 42 year old now versus 42 year old then. Mm-hmm. And to look at Brady versus Blanda. And one, that was like an advertisement for the TB12 method more than anything. Um, and just what cigarette smoke can do to a man's face. I mean, <laughs> holy shit. But it just. <laughs> It's crazy to think about where the league was. And and also to to I remember in like 10 years ago hearing about George Blanda playing until he was 42 and thinking we'll never see that again. And now it's like I just Tom Brady did not look like Philip Rivers or Drew Brees or or Ben Roethlisberger. He looked 
like he was 35. And I'm not about how long Tom Brady can play, but it's, you know, in a, in a week where uh, Bill Belichick may take the presidential medal of freedom from Donald Trump after what we saw last week, and he's sitting at home getting ready for next season. And Tom Brady is now going to new Orleans in the NFC divisional round. Remember what we said before the season, this was a legacy defining year for Tom Brady that how much success can he have not with Belichick? And if they continue to go on this run with the year that the Patriots had, we're really starting to define history right now and and who mattered what to that franchise. It's just, it's a very interesting week in the Brady versus Belichick historical realm. You know, it's funny. Brady probably could have had another 100 yards if Godwin catches two of those balls there. I mean, it, it was it would have been those are easy catches that he should have. He probably had another hundred yards. But, but I, I will say this: Breeze played against a very good defense. Philip Rivers did play against a, a you know he played well, but he played against a better defense. And Washington, when you look at the Tom Brady and the balls that he was completing, I mean these receivers are wide open. And as much as Chase Young, I love him. Went to my high school, know the kid a little bit. Um, the the Bucks just did a great job of protecting Tom Brady. I mean, he got sacked three times. A couple of them were just cover sack. I told you, Chase Young ain't going to sniff that motherfucker. They're gonna they they weren't close. Well, there, there's two things. And I had this argument with a couple of my friends who are Washington fans. Tom Brady just did a great job of getting the ball out quickly. I mean, he wasn't holding the ball long at all. And then when they, when they did throw it deep, they went max protection. They put a couple guys on Chase Young. A couple of times, just Gronk blocked them by itself, and then you go deep at that point. And so, you know, they, they were very careful, Byron Leftwich and Bruce Allen, I mean, Bruce Arians, as far as protecting Tom Brady throughout that entire game. Uh, Mr. Uh, Patriots, David Ingber, it looked like you had something to say after the Brady-Belichick thing. He was crying, I think. <laughs> I had a couple of wild longevity Tom Brady stats for you. Uh, from Sherry and Williams, the Buccaneers are playing in their 16th postseason game. That was Tom Brady's 42nd wow. postseason game. Wow. That's just unbelievable. Um, Susan1287 wrote that Tom Brady has now played a full season's worth of playoff games since 2014. So in 16 of those games, he's 13 and three. He's thrown for 5,300 yards, 32 touchdowns. 5,300 uh, yards. In his last 16 playoff games, yes, uh, including two rush touchdowns. And uh, QBR over 75 in 12 of those 16 games uh, from Doug Clawson. Tom Brady has now beaten 17 different teams in the playoffs. And uh, obviously Joe Montana has the second most playoff wins with 16. So he's now beaten more different teams than any quarterback has playoff wins. And then the stat that I sent to you, Lefko, earlier, uh, if Brady's able to beat Breeze this coming week, he would then have eight playoff wins against NFC teams, which would tie him with Drew Brees, who's been in the NFC for the last uh, 17 years. Yeah, Br- Brady's just been doing it in Super Bowls and then this week. That's why yeah. That's why we do, we do this in sports a lot, where a new hot young gun comes in and we compare them. Tiger Woods and Mickelson is the most famous of these. Uh, we, we saw it in tennis a, while, a lot with Federer when he was coming up, and now everyone's going to have to be chasing him. Um Everyone's like, oh, Mahomes. Listen, man, you know how much I love Pat. Brady is getting to a point with his statistics where it's a little bit like Jerry Rice, where when you look at Jerry Rice's yards and stuff, you go, I don't know if that's touchable. Brady's winning record and what they've done, like he already has six. 
He has six. I just, I, I, I have a feeling that, and I, I really don't want it to end with Tom Brady because now I'm at the point where it's like just stack and stack and stack. But I don't know if this will ever be matched. Um, I really don't. And I don't, you know what? I'm just going to say it will not be matched. I believe that what Tom Brady's doing will never be matched. In order for it to be matched, you have to have a combination of a few things. You have to have greatness, obviously, from the quarterback. We know that. Greatness from the coach. you got to be able to outthink people, out-game plan people. But you also have, and this is the third thing, probably most importantly, you have to have a, a just a historically weak division. I mean, if you're talking about six games every single year where they can almost guarantee that they were going to win those six games. Uh, that, that's just hard to get in every single division in football and over that course of time. I mean, 20 years in, in, in New England. It's, it, it's just hard to imagine that that's going to happen any longer in the NFL. Like, let's say Mahomes and the Chiefs win it this year. And then mm-hmm. let's say they win it next year, too. An un, or let's say they don't win it next year, but they win it the year after. So they do a traditional Patriots three out of four the way they started in the early 2000s. Mahomes will got to play for like another 15 to 20 years and then win another three. Like, I... It, it really is incredible. Um, you know, here's the other thing you got to yeah. think about, about guys like Patrick Mahomes. He, he is smart. He's athletic, strong arm. Then he, he, he runs the ball a little bit. See, Brady is a little bit different. I think this kind of gives an advantage to Brady. It wasn't necessarily always about his arm strength. He was always smart. He wasn't never the most athletic. So his athletic ability never would fall off because he never had a bunch of it to begin with. Patrick Mahomes absolutely has great athletic ability. And over time mm. with players, sometimes that decreases. Now can you win even when that goes down? That's going to well, be the big question for athletes like that. The one, the one thing I'll say, and, and you had this so you understand it, the great players we talked before about you can't think and play the great players have that incredible acute awareness of time and space. Mm-hmm. And they know more about the game going on than anything. And we, we, I've talked about Mahomes. What I love is when he's running the two-minute drill and you see him directing the entire offense. Or you know, Drew Brees has this too. He doesn't even see the, the backup option, but he knows it's there and he knows the defense and what they're playing. I believe that Mahomes has that intelligence and awareness that Brady's and the Brees has. His advantage right now is the athleticism. And so the question is, is can he get that mental muscle to a level to where he doesn't even need to use the legs as much in preparation of losing that ability? I would imagine that for Brady, that getting that ACL tear early in his career probably ended up benefiting him in the long run because it really made him need to understand the backup options and the limitations of, I need to be really good at moving a foot to the left and a foot to the right and not necessarily running for 10 yards. But Mahomes definitely has that, that, um, that backup option in his legs right now. And yeah. so it, it becomes, as I'm sure, and I know you know, the, the race against time to slow the game down mentally for when you get slow physically. And that's why I have faith in Mahomes is I feel like the preparation and the mindset is there that you can't say about a lot of other guys. If anybody can do it, you would you would have to believe that it was Patrick Mahomes, his ability to understand things. The one thing that I always think about this, I wonder how long, much longer Andy wants to coach and how will that affect Patrick as he goes throughout his career? Does is Andy want to coach another 10 years? It's hard to imagine that he will. 
you're the perfect guy to ask. You really think that Andy Reid would shut it down soon with an opportunity like this? And th- and you know that like his football family is practically his family anyway. I know Andy loves the game. I know Andy loves his family. And not to say that he's you know away from his family, but as you get older, you, you win a couple more championships. Now your priorities shift a little bit, and you know the grandkids and the wife. You know you're you're, you're getting towards uh, the end of your career as far as football. Let's also factor in that a lot of teams and a lot of players are saying. We just experienced in this past offseason a Zoom offseason, and everybody loved it. And I would say that there's a decided chance that that offseason, which always sounds like the part that you guys fucking hate, will be Mm -hmm. changed forever. And so if all those unnecessary training camps and mini camps and getting away from our family in the summer, if those turn into Zoom calls and Andy gets to be home during that time, I think it's going to extend the careers of a lot of coaches because now they're going to have an actual work-life balance. So Andy will be 63 this year. Belichick is, is what? Seven? No. Let's is he, is, is he coaching till he's 73? He, Carroll's 70. Yeah, it's a different world. Different world. You know, just I, – I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody knows the answer. No. I, I, I wonder. Nice. I wonder. I wonder what he would do. That's a good, good question. It is interesting. It's like – Guys reach a certain age and we start asking them every year if they're going to retire. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were we were joking, uh, uh, Westbrook, with Antoine Bethay. He retires and he's 36. And oh, he's boy. like, and I'm like, wow, you know, in football world, you're so old. But in real life, mm-hmm. you're, you're young, like you're just starting. In the NFL, it's like when a coach turns 65, we're like, are you going to retire? And it's like nothing about the normal workforce applies to coaching in the NFL. Why are we using this arbitrary retirement age, 65? Why don't we ask Warren Buffett when he's going to retire? You know, like, why is it with athletics? We're like, you're getting up there in age. And I just think it's more of an indication of lazy reporting than it is about the actual, like if Andy Reid was, was showing a decline in his abilities, if Andy Reid was commenting about how much he misses things, I just... I think Andy Reid can go for another 10 years if it's this good because he also understands how rare of an opportunity he has. No, I agree. If anyone can do it, Andy certainly can. The one thing that I think about when I ask people about retirement is solely, is there anything else you want to do in life? Mm. Because football, I understand how much football, and I know Andy, I mean, he's sleeping at home maybe twice a week, maybe, but the other days he's sleeping in the office doing those types of things. You just wonder how do, do they want to enjoy other parts of their life? Again, grandkids, vacation with the wife. And I know he loves Miss uh, Miss Tammy Reed a bunch. And so, you know, I, that that's what the question comes from when you talk about retirement. Do you want to do something else? Because you football, I mean, you're talking about 75 percent in your year, your year. And then in that 75 percent, you're 100 percent football. That's just hard to do at that age. Follow up question. If Andy Reid was retired. What would he spend his time doing? <laughs> uh, on the beach somewhere with one of those big Bahama Mama, T- Tommy Bahama shirts. Um, you know, Andy Reid just think such he's a, a good vacation dude. shut it down guy, or is he a vacation let's go on a tour guy? I think he'll go on the tour. I, I can see Andy with, with those uh, binoculars around his neck, just walking around yes. the big shirt, just kind of enjoying it, taking it all in. And he's a people type of guy. So he was the type of guy that will mingle with the people and have fun with them. Just a, just a good dude. I mean, I, I can see him doing that very easily. Andy Reid seems like I'm thinking of, 
you know those tours watching. in San Francisco when you're standing over top and you're on the top of the bus and you're the tour guide. Just yeah. imagine that big old mustache and him just giving out tour guide stuff. To me, that would be pretty cool. Um, Inger, Inger, what do you think? Andy Reid, retirement hobbies. Oh, man, that's a great one. Um, I, I just love the the image of him. The binoculars around the, the neck really sealed it for me. I could see him as being the guy that looks, that Googles the top 20 most important places to visit mm -hmm. and then just one by one X's them off. You know, like I got to go see the pyramids and then I got to go see, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Sydney Opera House and then I got to go look at the Red Sea and he's just going to go around. He's just going to X them off one by one uh, every couple of months on a nice little trip with his wife. That's <laughs> He also seems like the guy to me that Googles how to make the best burger and then yes. and like gets like a big green egg and is like, I'm going to create the best, like he's going to create his own menu and stuff like yeah. that. You know, one of the funny things that I mean, it's not even, it was, it was funny at the time. And so we're in training camp and Andy's anniversary was always, I, I have to say maybe August 10th, you know, August 11th, somewhere around there. And he would always time it so that we would have the night off on his anniversary. I mean, the small things are important to guys like Andy Reid. So he, he would always time it. So we had the night off. And so he can go back into Philly and or wherever, you know, him and Tammy went around to enjoy their anniversary. So I, I know how much his family and things, small things like that matter to him. That's why I think Andy seems like a guy to me that they go to the Super Bowl last year, they win. He looks like the kind of guy to me that shuts it down truly for a month and just get saturated family time. Like, I feel like he's the kind of guy that, you know, like I go on vacation and I get like two days of that. And then I'm like writing journals about like how to make mm -hmm. better content. He mm -hmm. seems like the kind of guy that if a football idea comes up, great, but it's family time. I feel like him better than almost anybody else has learned how to bridge that gap. And that's why I have faith in him going long-term. He's not one of these like, these like super intense guys that never gives him his brain a break. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I remember the year, the year Mike Vick came to the team, right? So that summer, and he just kind of mentioned, we're in passing. Hey, man, we think about Mike Vick. We'd love to have him coach. Obviously, we know the type of player he is. And he said, well, I was on the beach in California. So in the offseason, he went to California on the beach. And he said, I wrote down these plays. And he had like napkins, cue cards, worth of plays that he wrote down for Michael Vick. I mean, that's how his mind thinks. He's like, okay, I'm on vacation, but what are the type of plays? And I, I obviously he probably does done the same thing for Patrick Mahomes as well. We we never talked about it. I know we're, we're going a little long here. We're going to wrap soon. But um, Westbrook, what did you think about all the shit that T.O. said about Donovan? We, we didn't do a thing afterwards. Yeah, I I, I think it's old news. I, I think it's time for those guys to, to quit it. And again, I love T and I love Don. I, I just think it's time. You, you know, this one of the things I show. always... My new show going to be coming out on Bleacher Report next year. It's called Awkward Encounters. What we yeah. do is we invite two athletes that are known to hate each other and we get them to come to the room, but we don't tell them that he's going to be there and we just record the whole thing. And if the episode yeah. lasts five seconds and they go, fuck this, I'm out, that's the episode. Or it could be a Dr. Phil or it could be a fight. But I, I'm, it's going to be a new episode. It's just called Awkward Encounters because I, my question is I watch that shit if they were in the same room with each other, would they keep the same energy? Or would they go, man, we got to get past this shit. But that looks serious to me. I, I would want them to be able to get past it. Um, I, yeah, I just think of small things to me. I mean, you know, when you're young, you don't have kids, you're a different person. 
And now, you know, we're all older. We all have kids. And so our kids are saying this too. And to me, that that's not what you want our kids. That's not the example that I would want um, for, for Donovan kids or, or Tio's kids. You, know, you don't need to be bringing up crazy stuff from the past uh, to try to get back at someone about a 15-year-old beef. I just hope that they can figure a way out to just squash it and, and move on. Amber, do we have another game? We have one more game, but first I just need to let you know that as your producer, that awkward encounters thing is going to be a production nightmare. We're going to have to film the entire thing before anything gets out on social media because then people will know what you're up to. You'll never be able to book another episode. It's going to get trickier <laughs> and trickier. As about, that's what I thought about the Eric Andre show, but they keep getting fucking guests on that show. <laughs> I know. And the Nathan for you's of the world, they somehow yeah. still find people. It's because nobody pays attention um, to anything right now. Just what's on their IG feed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Last burning question. Sizzle, sizzle, pop, sizzle sizzle Colts versus Bills. Oh, it was a great game. If they only allow 7,000 fans in next week, how many plastic tables do you let in? <laughs> the only reason I knew they were allowing 7,000 fans in is because my wedding planner was like, they're allowing 7,000 fans into a stupid football game, but we can only have 50 people at a wedding. And I was like, oh yeah, they are letting fans in. Uh, some weird challenges in that game, some weird reviews. That was clearly a Colts fumble at the end that they didn't say Easily. was a Colts fumble. Um, I, I really thought the Colts had it. Phillip Rivers missed a, uh, an open pitman on that one touchdown. That would have been big. Um, I, I, it was sad because that was another game where I'm like, I don't know if we're going to get Phillip Rivers ever again. And, but it was the most Phillip Rivers thing ever with two minutes left to be trying to engineer a comeback drive. Like it was, it was everything that we predicted in Bert, except Rivers didn't blow it, you know? Yeah. You know, he was great, but he did do the like really panicked clapping right before a big, uh, as the, as the time was coming down. And that was exactly what we said preseason that like, this is going to come down to a play where he's clapping frantically it's, trying to beat that the play moment. Clock. And you know what? I know that Rivers is great and he's smart and all that stuff, but you know how we talked about earlier, just like having that, that, that sense of time and place. Does anyone get more shocked that there's five seconds left in the play clock than Philip Rivers? <laughs> no, he's like, oh shit, go, 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 go. Yeah, all the time. You know, I, I think the Colts had a chance to win this doggone game, man. They're two for five in the red zone. I mean, again, we talk about opportunity. You can't win a game if 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 you don't score on, on three of your possessions inside the red zone. And then those four downs. You know, that 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 in goal to go situation and they just can't get the couple yards that they need to get in the end zone. To me, that's just that that's backbreaking. And then the 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 Bills turn around and, and drive the ball 96 yards for a touchdown. That that's that was a game right there in my mind. And so I just you hate to see Phillip Rivers go out like that, but you know, they certainly had opportunities. They couldn't make the most of their opportunities um when, when they had them, especially in the red zone. Um what what info do you have on this game, statistic-wise, Ingber? Mike Wells, uh, he said Colts are the first team ever to lose a playoff game after getting 450-plus yards and zero turnovers. Mm. Teams had been 11-0 and in that situation before. Credit to Josh Allen. This actually was from a user uh, on Reddit named Allen17, so people are now <laughs> conspiracy theorying that uh, Josh Allen is the actual uh, user of this Reddit account, but... Josh Allen is the first QB with 300 yards passing, 50 yards rushing, and 70% completions in a playoff game. That's unbelievable. You look at all the great games that these guys have had over the years. First one ever with 300 passing yards, 50 rush yards, and 70% completions. And a truly Josh Allen moment at the end of the game. Guy draped on him. 
wanting to extend the play, fumbles. Offensive lineman jumps on it. Mm -hmm. I believe that every team should be required to give an offensive lineman that falls in a fumble, which happens a lot at a moment like that, a $1 million bonus. What? If, if that lineman doesn't fall on the ball and the Colts recover in Bill's territory, they can lose that game. I just feel like there should be a financial bonus for an offensive lineman or for anybody. You recover an onside kick to end the game, you should get a bonus. I feel like oh, there's so you, no- you get a bonus for doing your job? Oh, by the way, the offensive lineman that recovered the fumble, guess what? He was also the offensive lineman that missed the damn block. To- that, that, that got the ball to, to, for the quarterback to fumble. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to give you a million dollars. We're going to take $2 million from you because you're causing damn fumble. Yeah, you know do that. I'm not going to take criticism of my strategy from a guy that dropped four passes in a play. Oh. In a playoff game, who, the, who does oh, that? I, would've, oh, I definitely would have remembered that. There's no way that that happened. <laughs> uh, I just I, – I, I'm, I'm happy that the Bills recovered it because – it was just reminiscent of what we said, where last year against the Texans, he fumbled on a lateral. I, I will say this, though, that that's the reason I'm excited for this weekend is Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have shown, and Baker Mayfield, too, that that all the criticism of that 2018 draft class is, is a little unfounded, and we, we nitpick, and that Allen is really blossoming into something special, and that when you have a young quarterback, you need to get reliable weapons around them. And to have Stefan Diggs and to, to create that connection, draft picks are great, but when you have the guy get the weapons around him, don't bemoan the fact that Patrick Mahomes has weapons. Emulate what they have done. We don't need to throw Sam Darnold out there with fucking nobodies or, or, or Lamar Jackson with, with a, a tight end. Get these guys real, experienced weapons. It's what they try to do with Baker. Look what they did with Baker with Jarvis Landry. Anytime you need a big play, that man doesn't drop it. And it's the consistency of a veteran uh, wide receiver to pair with a quarterback. They need it for their development. Cole Beasley is fine. You know, these, these other wide receivers are fine. But when you have a Stefan Diggs out there, it allows Josh Allen to be what he is. You know what? In, in the horse world, they, they always say you don't put a green. By the way, by the way, let me just say this really quick. This needs to be your lane. You need to be the equestrian slash NFL analyst. Every take you have, do you notice how, how, how Frank Gore hit the sideline in, in horse racing? We call that changing foot. And you see how he was able to do that so quickly. <laughs> it's a real term, it's a real term. Was Lamar Jackson more of an Arabian steed or a Palomino out there? <laughs> I love this. This needs to be your lane Westbrook. Well, here it is. And so, you know, horse world, they always say you don't put a green rider with the green horse, meaning like a, a rookie rider with the rookie horse, because this is going to be an accident. They neither one of them know what the heck they should be doing. You always either want to put an experienced rider with a young horse because he's experienced enough to be able to handle anything this young horse does or a inexperienced rider with a horse that has been there and done it before. Right. The exact same thing stands for quarterbacks. You talk about Green Bay, older quarterback, younger receivers. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is kind of a little bit different, but younger quarterback, a little bit older uh, uh, skilled players. Josh Allen getting the guy that he needs and Stephon Diggs. 
uh, certainly has changed his game and made him a much better quarterback. They, 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 let's take a look at the other guys that are struggling from that same draft classes and classes before, I mean, after them. They're young quarterbacks with no experienced receiver. How do you expect to win? There's just not, there's no, no roadmap for that. The weapons, um, no. you know, all those guys, uh, except Jalen Hurts. He had success. Speaking of Jalen Hurts, I just got an alert on my phone that Doug Peterson is meeting with ownership today mm. to present his plan for the future. Westbrook, what do you think he's presenting? By the way, we haven't really talked about him, but a lot of stories have been coming out that the team is pissed. Not happy. Um, so they, they had a meeting with the coach, with Doug Peterson, the ownership uh, did with Jeffrey Lurie uh, last Tuesday. And according to all reports, it just did not go very well. Really? Um, he wasn't he wasn't pleased with it's the idea. Mortensen came out on Sunday and was like, he's not safe yet. Which is kind of crazy. The quarterback hates the coach, doesn't want to be there. He wants to leave. You know, there's some questions about how you handle things. Backup quarterback hates the coach. The backup, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Doug Peterson, if my boss comes to me, we have a good, uh, we have a meeting, they say it goes terribly. Now he wants to hear my plan for us to go forward. I'm, I'm starting to pack my things up is, is, is what I would be doing if I was Doug you Peterson. I, this is a sign that Doug is in deep, deep, like could be gone. I don't think it's a good sign. So remember, last year they, they tried to shake things up. They fired almost all of their offensive staff. You know, obviously, the, the offensive Juice, coordinator, yeah. things like that, right? And so they bring in Scangarello as well as Marty Mornewig. And now those guys are gone. So when you fire the offensive staff, your, your defensive coordinator is gone this year. The next logical person to be gone is who? To me, that, that you start to point to the head coach. And here's the bigger issue. You got a you got a quarterback that you paid 128 million dollars to that does not like the head coach according to reports. What happens in the NFL? What happens in sports? Period. But, the coach goes, not the player. Yeah, but that's generally but, what happens. But, but the whole team doesn't like the quarterback that has 120 million. So I don't really give a shit if Carson doesn't like him. You know, like here, I got 53 people. I got 51 people because Ertz and Kelsey like them. I got 51 people that don't like the quarterback <laughs> and the quarterback doesn't like the coach. I don't really care. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I think it's, it's interesting because uh, the headlines nationally are going to be how Philadelphia coach wins uh, Super Bowl two years ago, gets fired like, like two years later. Um, I, I guess my question is, is this is an ego question. Doug obviously is going, how can I be up? This is like clearly not my fault, all this stuff. If a meeting doesn't go well, if it gets out publicly, it's not going well, and now they want your plan for the future, are you really going to be busting your ass to come up with a plan? Like, are you coming with like a booklet and all that stuff? Or are you kind of going in there and being like, how are you guys not respecting me right now? Well, I think the big question, the big answer to that question is, do I have another job opportunity? If the Jets really want me as a head coach, then I got another job opportunity. Because of Joe Douglas and all that. Because right. of Joe Douglas. And, and, and obviously there's been reports that the Jets are willing to trade picks or money, whatever, however hmm. that works, to get Doug Peterson. If if I'm Doug Peterson, I'm saying I may not have another job opportunity. This better be the best interview or best meeting that I've ever had. That's my 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 thought process. But it, it really just depends what, what his agent is hearing. From the other people outside. I mean, if Joe Douglas really wants him, 
um, and there's another job opportunity, then yeah, do whatever you want, Jeffrey Lurie. Ingber, what do you think as a longtime Eagles fan? <laughs> um, as you mentioned, you never want to go on here and say that someone deserves yeah. to get canned. Uh, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. Um, I will say that I think Jalen Hurts is the QB of the future. Um, I think he proved that this year. Uh, second round pick and dead money be damned. Um, I think that whatever it is, you need a unified front. It's like parenting. If I say that my daughter Lucy can have snacks and my wife says that she can't, it's going to be a grumpy situation no matter what. Mm -hmm. So if if he is your guy, then you need a GM, a coach, a team, an offensive line, a game plan around knowing that he is your guy. And if as long as there's some non-unified front in there, it's going to be a really, really angry, grumpy locker room. And I can understand it. Yeah. Uh, Westbrook, what do you think the players want? Um. Well, well, first thing, when you talk about the players, they're going to have to flip that locker room. They're going to have to get a bunch of new players, in my mind. I mean, you got a bunch of older guys, a bunch of guys that didn't work out. So to me, you want a bunch of new guys in there. I think that uh, especially some of the young guys saw some synergy with Jalen Hurts. That decision really upset the whole locker room, didn't it? I don't know that. I don't know that that decision upset the whole locker room. I, I think they saw the quarterback struggling. And I, no, I, I meant, I meant they, the Sudfeld in the last game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I feel like people, Doug was safe until that happened. I think a lot of people in the locker room were not comfortable with that decision. I mean, and, and obviously there's been different reports about when they were told or if they were told. But um, I, I think that a lot of players, and again, fans, upper management have a different feel. As a player, I'm putting my body at yeah. risk every time we go out there and play. Let's go win the dog on football game. That's the that, that's the player's mentality. Yeah, because the way I was thinking about it too is it was about honoring Kelsey and Ertz the right way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to do it and you think this might be the last time they ever suit up, if you're going to pull the guy, let's pull everybody. You know, let's ceremoniously give Kelsey their moment and all that, but it's tough. Well, the question is, is that Doug's decision? I mean, because if it is, then to me, I, I got to question it. If it's not, which I kind of start to feel a little if bit. If it's not, he's not meeting with ownership today to explain himself. Well, I think that there was, it, it seems from the reports anyway, that it's a little bit deeper than just that decision. It's about right. the relationship. It's about the team. It's about uh, the locker room and, and, and possibly that decision as well. There's a point that, you know, this is just a guess speculation on my part. Maybe Howie said, hey, go, go, you know, we need to lose this game to get a better pick. And Jeffrey didn't know. I, again, that's, that's spear, spear, uh, uh, peer, what is it called? What's speculation? That's what it is. Pure uh, speculation. Pure, yeah. pure, pure <laughs> speculation. That's what that is. This is one of our longest podcasts of all time. Ingber hit me up beforehand and said, would you like me to put a timer on this so we don't go way over? And I should have said yes. Either way, mm -hmm. a lot of fun. <laughs> Burning questions were great. Uh, for David Ingber. It's never too late to start a new chapter in your life. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Mitch Trubisky deserves to start for an NFL team next year. But I am saying that Mick Trubisky is. <laughs> Trubisky? Who's that guy? What are you talking about? <laughs> when uh, he received the Nickelodeon MVP, the kid reporter said, he said, Mick Trubisky wins the MVP. So I think Mick Trubisky, you give him a new name, a new back of the jersey. Mick Trubisky, whole, whole new guy. I love that. For Brian Westbrook. 
Um, you know, th- there is a point. The Rocket Man. The Rocket Man, of course. Jeez. I'm going to get to that. There, I was going to say there's a point when I want to be called the Rocket Man. No, there's a point where um, you 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 go old versus young. And I think this season is going to come down to that. Old versus young. You're talking about older. You're talking about Breeze. You're talking about Brady. You're talking about Aaron Rodgers to a certain extent. Um, which are really all in the same division, which is kind of I- I- interesting, the same conference. Um, then you got the young on the other side. Um, you- you're talking about Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, as well as uh, Lamar Jackson. I-, I wonder how that turns out. I wonder what-, what turns out between when you go to old versus young and you talk about old dogs, new tricks. Some of these older quarterbacks have figured things out over the last couple months of the football season. And I'm, I'm curious to see how this playoff uh, continue to play itself out. I am the LEF coach. I am the LEFKOE man. And my final thing will be about communicate the tough stuff. Sitting there listening to stuff about the Eagles, and you could tell that things have been getting rough for what it sounds like is a while. You know, we're probably going to see some changes in Seattle. A lot of tough conversations. The sooner that you have the tough conversations in your life, the better it will be in the long run. Is it easier now not to talk about it? Absolutely. Is it easy to go, we'll do it tomorrow for sure? Is it awkward? Is it painful to have those conversations? Hell yes. But the longer you wait, like the like the, the eighth wonder of the world, ninth one of the world, compound interest, they will compound themselves, whether it is relationships or coworkers or whatever. The longer you wait, the worse it gets. So mm. handle your shit. Because if you don't, your shit will handle you. Ah, <laughs> oh, that felt really good. See you guys later. Peace.